oh, sorry, worship team, thank you. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, guys. Fantastic. Really, really, really beautifully well-led. Um, awesome. Thanks, Martin. All right. I'll pray for you, and we'll, uh, we'll receive this message this morning. Lord, we just thank you for um, Martin and Linda being with us this morning. Thank you for their friendship. Uh, thank you for them uh, being parents to, these, uh, to the churches, Father God. And thank you for the gift of the apostle, for the gift of direction, the gift of challenge, the gift of um, uh, expanse and growth, uh, and the gift of the church, Father God, of uh, receiving from you and sharing freely. And so, Father, this morning, open our ears to hear. Let Martin share a word uh, that touches hearts and changes lives. And that, Father God, we take into this uh, 2024 as part of where we're going and what we're doing. Lord, we just pray your blessing upon him and Linda this morning and that, Holy Spirit, you speak through him in powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. It's a bit tall, isn't it? I was thinking that. No, it's Go on. small. Oh, small. small. Oh, no, it's you then. You're too tall. Yeah. Um, can I just give you this as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, no, it's anyway. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, well, that was a bit of a grandiose introduction, really. Um, I'm not sure I can live up to all of that, but thank you anyway. Great to be with you. Um, I want to speak this morning, the title of this morning's message that I feel God's given me to share with you is uh, distinctiveness in God's household. Who knows if you want to blend in with the world and the culture around you, if you need to blend in with the world and the culture around you, then I want to tell you now, Christianity is not for you. Because these next three slides really are a picture of what it means for us to be Christians. Can we have the first one up there? So if we are Christians, then it means we need to be heading in a different direction to the culture and the ways of this world. So if you want to be a bluefish and blend in with the bluefishes, Christianity is not for you. Because Christianity means being an orange fish, heading in a different direction, walking a different way. The next picture there means actually we're not called to think like everyone else around us thinks or how the world thinks. We are called to think differently. And then lastly, we are called to take a different stand, a different position. So if we are truly living by faith, living by belief in the Lord Jesus, if we're in relationship with God, if we are disciples and followers of Jesus, living in a different kingdom, under a different king, under a different lord, then we will live distinctive from the way that the world lives. We will live differently. I want to suggest to you we will live radically differently and distinctively from the world around us in terms of the way we think, in terms of our values and our priorities, in terms of how we speak, in terms of how we behave, in terms of how we relate with others, and in terms of the lifestyle choices that we make. The reverse, of course, is also true. If there's no distinctiveness and difference in you or I, or in the church, 
to the world, then it's a sure indicator that something's wrong. There are two sober teachings that always shape my leadership. They're always scriptures that are over before me. Let's just read them. It's these two scriptures, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And then the next scripture, Matthew 5, 13, you, speaking to you and I, speaking to the church, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. These two scriptures are big deals for me in my leadership. I mean, we can, you know, there's over 900 people gather at Tees Valley Community Church. Fortunately, not all on the same Sunday morning, but any given Sunday morning, there's five or 600 people gathered together. It's very important to me that in my preaching and in my teaching and in my leadership that I don't leave any person that comes through the door in false assurance of faith in our congregation. That I don't leave anyone in a place where they say, found to be in this position where they're saying, well, we sing the songs, we come to church, we raise our hands, but there's nothing distinctive because they live in their own way. They live in as the world lives. And I don't want, on the day they get to heaven and they come before the Lord and they say, well, we were in church, we raised our hands, we were singing the songs. And he says, I never knew you. And they were sat in my church. Then I reckon I'm going to get called in at that point. How did these people sit in your congregation under your teaching week in and week out and left there knowing that they had to live differently and distinctively according to my word and my ways and my will in line with my kingdom. And I don't want to do that. So these scriptures about people being able to sit in congregations in false assurance of faith or, or the salt, somehow the congregation, losing its saltiness, its distinctiveness, they are big deals for me. As a church leader, this has just come off. Might need a bit of help. Thank you. Uh, of course, at times it's a challenge to live distinctively, isn't it? It's not comfortable to live distinctively. In fact, sometimes it's distinctly uncomfortable to live distinctively, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. I mean, I felt, you know, really uncomfortable at times. I remember when I was training to be a medical doctor, and it came to that point where I was doing uh, my training in gynecology, and I had to take a stand and say, actually, I wasn't prepared to assist in any abortion operations and I remember the consultants at the time 
and the senior nursing staff sort of looking at me, really looking down on me, you know, and I felt about that small as I took that stand. It was uncomfortable to stay in line with God's word and to honor the sanctity of life and not engage in that process. And I didn't not engage in a judgmental way of people that were having abortions. I just knew that I had to walk a different way, think a different way, and take a different stand, which actually I continued to do over the years as a doctor. But it was uncomfortable. I remember as well when I was a junior doctor and I was, uh, had a period of time in charge of coronary care unit over several months. And God spoke to me about every morning starting the day on the ward by reading my Bible. So every morning I would go onto the ward. The, the nurses and doctors station was in the middle of the, the ward where all the monitoring went on. And I would just sit there and I would start the day by reading my Bible, not out loud, just myself. But everyone knew I was reading the Bible. Felt uncomfortable. That's what I felt God tell me to do. I mean, I never read anything that was on the page. I was so nervous and anxious about being there reading it. I'm not really sure what I read. I think sometimes the Bible was even upside down. <laughs> the point I'm making is there's a call on us to live differently and distinctively. But it's also a challenge. It's not easy always to be different, to live distinctively. But Jesus, of course, himself was distinctive. He was distinctive in his teaching. Actually distinctive in his teaching at times to the point of his teaching being hard and uncomfortable. Let's read a few verses from Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And then John 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is, um, I think there was a slide before that, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus himself was distinctive. His teaching was radically distinctive. Actually, his distinctiveness and his difference ultimately led to the world hating him and crucifying him. And he was clear in John 15, verses 18 to 19, that if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. In other words, he was clear that if we belonged to him and followed him and lived as he did and was distinctive and different in the way we lived and in our values and 
how we were with people, that the world would hate us in the same way it hated them. So if distinctiveness is a passion for God, and I want to suggest it is a passion for God, and if it's a core issue of relationship with God and being a disciple and living in the kingdom of light as opposed to the kingdom of darkness, then I just want to answer four, ask four questions this morning. What does this distinctiveness, distinctiveness look like? What's the purpose of it? How do you become distinctive? And how do we maintain and grow in that distinctiveness? Is that okay? So the first question, what does this distinctiveness look like? Well, I need a, a random volunteer from the audience here at this point to come up. You there, madam, you seem like a random person. I'm going to... Uh, it's very expensive. Fragrance, actually. Spent over a thousand pounds on this. And then I found it in Next for $24.99. <laughs> I didn't pay a thousand pounds for it, $24.99, just in case someone's left thinking, my goodness, what an extravagant pastor that guy is. But listen. What do you think? Very yeah. good. Yeah. What's your, what's your name? <laughs> it's my wife, by the way just in case anyone's worried. Her name is Linda. I do know her name. We've been married 41 years. Give Linda a round of applause for that. I have to be applauded for living with me for 41 years. So what does distinctiveness look like? Actually, a better question to ask is what does distinctiveness smell like? Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14 and 16. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you this morning that our distinctiveness is an aroma. Everywhere we go, whatever situation we're in, whoever we are with, people should smell the distinctive aroma of Christ himself. That's what the scripture tells us. Through the love that we show people, through the care that we exercise to people, through the thoughtfulness we have towards people, through the compassion we have towards people. People should smell the fragrance of Jesus through the sacrifice we're prepared to make, through the selflessness we're prepared to exercise, through our generosity, through our words, through our speech, through our encouragement through the way we live and behave, through our lifestyle, our lifestyle choices within our marriages, in the lives of our children and the way we bring our children up and even in our wider families, people who come near us, people who touch us, should smell the aroma of Christ. There should be something different to the other aromas that are in this world. Linda and I went to 
And we went on a short break to Sheffield, as you do. And uh, we were in, is it Meadow Hall? Shopping, big shopping center. And we sat there in the middle of their big dining area. And uh, we were having a McDonald's in the middle of their dining area. And as I was sat there, I just observed this employee of the center. Uh, she was clearly a, a young lady with learning dis- uh, uh, difficulties, but, but she was cleaning the tables and the chairs. And I sat there and I watched her for 20 minutes. I have never seen someone so diligent in, and hardworking. No one was watching her, but she was just so diligent and careful in how, and wonderfully hardworking in everything she did. And I just noticed it. So I called her over and I just said to her, do you know, I said, I've been watching you and watching how hard you work. I said, I, I run a church. We employ 40 people in our church. If you were in my church, I would employ you. Because you are, you know, I've watched you. You're so diligent. You're so hardworking, caring. She was like, oh, no one's ever said that to me before. So I said, where's your manager? I said, I want to talk to your manager. So she called her manager, and her manager came over, and I just said, I want to tell you, I, I don't know how many people work for you, but this woman here is one of the most hardworking, diligent people you've got amongst you. He said, oh, that's fantastic to hear. I'll make a note of that. I, I saw that girl lift. Was I doing anything special? What was I doing? I was simply expressing the heart of Jesus to that girl. I was simply doing what the maker and creator of the universe had noticed that girl's hard work and diligence. And I was just being the fragrance and nature and attitude and voice of Jesus into that situation. Brothers and sisters, we should constantly look for opportunities in a sense, to spread the wonderful, beautiful aroma of Christ to others. There are many different aromas in this world. There's the aroma of selfishness, the aroma of so much hate in the world, in all those conflicts at the moment, so much anger and and vengeance. The aroma of vengeance is everywhere at the moment, isn't it, when you look on the news? The aroma of self-interest and selfish ambition There are many different aromas we can carry, but there is nothing more beautiful on the face of the earth than the aroma and the fragrance of Jesus Christ himself. It is the most beautiful, expensive perfume ever given to man, and you and I, brothers and sisters, get to wear it. Let's give an applause to the Lord Jesus. So, second question is, what's the purpose of this distinctiveness? Well, the aroma of Christ, I think, has two purposes. The first purpose is in the first scripture. We read this earlier, 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. You know, when we live for God, when we live to, in obedience to him, when we live conscious of him, 
and, and wanting to reflect him to others. When we live like that, actually that aroma is a, is a pleasing aroma to God himself. I can live, when I live Christ-like, when I might make Christ-like choices and live with Christ-like attitudes, I can please the heart of the maker and creator of the universe. That still wows me, even today, 40-odd years after walking as a Christian. The aroma and fragrance and distinctiveness of Christ is the most pleasing aroma to God on the face of planet Earth. The second purpose of distinctiveness is found in 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. And then there's this wonderful verse that I just read in my devotions a couple of weeks ago where Paul says, this grace, this grace was given, that should read, this grace was given to me to preach, to reveal the boundless riches of Christ. You know, one thing that amazes me every day, just how blessed I am with every spiritual blessing that God possibly had to give me in and through Jesus Christ. Every day I start the day with thanksgiving, amazed at the love and the grace and the riches of Christ that I get to live in, that abound in so many ways, in so many areas. And in a sense, what the scripture is saying is, is you know, we get in a sense, to reveal these boundless riches of Christ to others. You see, when this poor man, who was nothing without Jesus, and who had nothing without Jesus, and was ruled by many other ungodly things in his life till Christ came and saved him, when this poor man, and you're, I'm speaking to you as well and to me, gets to put on the most expensive fragrance in the universe. People look at you and they say, how does someone like you get to carry that fragrance and aroma? How does someone like you get to live that way? How does someone like you come into the incredible change and the incredible riches that I see that you're living out of. And so, the purpose of the fragrance of Christ, the purpose of distinctiveness in our lives, is one, to, because it's about living to please God, but two, it's about people asking the question, where does that fragrance come from? I want some of that fragrance. How do I get that fragrance? It's inspiring people around us that there's a different fragrance you can put on to the self-centered, man-centered, ungodly fragrance that everyone else ultimately has to wear. And so the purpose of this fragrance is to please God and to spread the aroma of him and inspire the world that there's another way to live. Point number three. How do we become distinctive? 
not doing very well. That's fine. Yeah. Thank you. I'll see you again in five minutes. <laughs> so here's a question. How do we become distinctive? Well, this distinctive fragrance, this distinctiveness we carry, it, it isn't the work of man, is it? We can't carry the aroma of Christ. We can't be Christ-like simply out of our own effort or out of our own work or self-discipline. This distinctiveness is a supernatural, divine work of God. It's actually a work of heaven. Jesus, the Bible, describes the process and the different elements of it in various ways. So Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and talked about being born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 talks about us becoming a new creation. The old Martin has gone, the new Martin has come in. Ezekiel talks about God coming and removing our heart of stone, the heart that was hardened to God, and giving us a new heart, a soft heart, a heart that can respond differently to God, can respond with godliness to God. Paul in Romans 12 talks about the transforming and the renewing of our minds that we might think differently, think in a godly way. Jesus in the Gospels talks about stepping into a different kingdom where we are no longer king, but Christ is king. Jesus in the Gospels talks about walking a new path, not a broad, easy path, but a narrow, difficult path that leads to life. Jesus in the Gospels talked about shifting what we find life in and sustenance in so we feed on him, the living bread, so we drink of him, the living waters. And the whole New Testament speaks of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God comes and makes a home with us and in us and empowers us and inspires us and enables us to live holy, to live Christ-like, to carry and spread the aroma of Christ. These and more besides are the descriptors the Bible uses to speak of the divine, supernatural process whereby we become distinctive, Christ-like, and change our aroma. Here's the question. Do we recognise those processes at work in our lives and in our journeys? My two brothers are coming up to see... My mother lives up here, they're coming up I think in early March, they'll both come up. If you were to see the three of us, you would know we were brothers. We all look alike. We walk alike. We sound alike. But neither of my brothers are Christians. And I am. And the way they live compared with the way I live, and I'm not boasting in myself here, I'm boasting in what God's done. But the way I live compared with their, how they live and the fruit in my life and family compared with theirs are chalk and cheese. They're miles apart. And the only difference is not I'm a better person. It's not I was the better of the three brothers. No. The only difference is I got born again. The only difference is I became a new creation through Christ. The only difference is I got filled with the Holy Spirit. The only difference is I got adopted by God into his family. The only difference is my mind got transformed and I had a heart transplant and that which was hardened to God became soft to God. If we don't recognise those processes, 
at work in our lives. It may explain why we, why we might struggle to live distinctively or why, why we might even struggle to have a desire to be distinctive. Actually, we want to blend in more than be distinctive. And if you sat here today and you don't recognise those sorts of biblical processes at work in your own life, I want to say, you can open the door this very day to God coming in and changing things. Because the good news is that through Christ, even today, you can open the door and you can be born again, you can become a new creation, you can have a new heart, a new mind, come into a new kingdom with a new king on a new path with a new food and a new presence and relationship, a new and living way with a new distinctive Christ-like aroma that's pleasing to God and reveals to others the boundless riches of Christ. You can have that today because this fragrance is not of man, it's of God and only an encounter with God and his supernatural working can cause us to carry that aroma. And the final point, how do we maintain and grow in that distinctiveness? Is simply to say that it's, an, it's actually an ongoing process of personal growth and discipleship. Life, even for Christians, is not like a static mill pond or lake. Life is like a river with a current. And the Christian life is like being in a river with a current. You know, if you just stay where you are, actually you tend to drift back. The way to lift the Christian life is not just to drift, it's to actively paddle in the life that God has given us, to actually, to continually cultivate and grow in our walk with Christ. We are in a river with a current and we need, if we want to maintain and grow in that Christ-likeness, in that distinctiveness, then we need to learn to paddle upstream. And that involves growing in our relationship with God, growing in our obedience to him. It involves an ongoing transforming of our mind, softening of our heart, and an ongoing daily filling with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the process of discipleship would involve daily taking up our cross, daily denying ourselves, daily crucifying ungodliness, and daily making choices to please God. Sounds like hard work. You know what? It can be. But it is also the most wonderful life-giving journey and experience that you could ever embark on. I wrote a book a few years ago. I haven't written many books, so don't... Profess, can I have you up again, Miles, please? I know. I don't write many books, but I have written a book. I think there's a slide with it on somewhere up there. It's called, it's called uh, Radical Discipleship, The Adventure of Change. This book, you can get this book off Amazon. One pound. 50p on some places. <laughs> you can get it on Kindle if you're interested. But I want to tell you, it's entitled Radical Discipleship, The Adventure of Change. If I was rewriting this book now, I would put the adventure, Radical Discipleship, The Adventure and Joy 
and life-giving experience of walking with God into Christ-likeness. Because that's my experience and the experience of many of you as well. It is a wonderful, wonderful joy to carry the fragrance of Christ. A wonderful, wonderful joy to live through the power of the Holy Spirit, a Christ-like life, and to go deeper and deeper in your relationship with God, in your obedience to Him, and in your fellowship with Him, and in your reflecting of Him to one another. It is an amazing, life-giving, joy-filling adventure, is my experience. So I probably will rewrite the book in a few years' time, but I'll probably give it a slightly different, fuller title. So the key elements in discipleship walk with God, I want to suggest to you, are, are the Word of God, reading the Scriptures daily, reading them, learning about God, obeying God and doing what God speaks to you to do through the Scriptures. It's walking with the Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. And actually, the other key process in discipleship that I've found and growing in this distinctiveness is actually relationship with others in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you can walk with, you can share openly with, you can receive discipleship through, and you can be sharpened by. So we have this wonderful call in summary. Distinctiveness, being different, I want to suggest to you, is the nature of faith in Jesus, it's the nature of relationship with Jesus, and it's the nature of being a disciple of Jesus. What's the nature of that distinctiveness? It's an aroma, the aroma of Christ. It's Christ-likeness. What's the purpose of that distinctiveness? It's to please God and reveal to others the boundless riches of Christ. How do we become distinctive? It's a heavenly divine process we can open the door to of being born again, being made a new creation with a new heart, being filled with a new spirit. And how do we maintain and grow in that distinctiveness? by proactively engaging in an ongoing process of discipleship and growth, and actually being a part of a church led by leaders who take seriously the scriptures, Jesus' words about the salt retaining its saltiness, and the call of God on us to follow him and be like him. Amen? Okay, God bless you.